0: For many teenagers, the biggest concern of their day is often an upcoming test or who they have a crush on. But for some young people in Chicago's most challenging neighborhoods, the worries are much deeper and haunting.
1: In our communities, it's not even I want to be a basketball player. Should I want to be alive? I didn't think I was gonna no see AT. To be completely honest with you.
0: In low-income, high-crime neighborhoods, the options for people to find a way out are limited. Without workforce development or financial stability, a better life can seem out of reach, and the current one is held on by a thread. Growing up in North Lawndale, Anthony Bush thought he might become a statistic. Even outside of Chicago specifically, the numbers nationwide are astounding. CDC reports show that homicide is the third leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 24, regardless of race. But it's the leading cause of death for youth who identify as either non-Hispanic Black or African American. And according to those same reports from the CDC, emergency room doctors treat more than a thousand youth of all races each day for non-fatal injuries sustained from physical assault. Thankfully, here in Chicago, there are groups who reach out to youth who need it the most
2: where there is disinvestment, we are there to provide a safe haven for young people, a place where they can be seen, they can be heard, where they can be children, where they can be young people. And then the next step in that is where are the moments, where are the intersections, where what you do well and what you're interested in can provide a life for you and your family. For you to earn money that's legal and safe and profitable so that you can be a positive contribution to your community. Made a huge impact in my life because it helped me express feelings that I don't know how to say like, out loud. They have given me skills that I have used in my everyday life, such as learn how to be more
0: comfortable with speaking because you know I felt like I used to be really self-conscious, but they helped me get out of my shell and now I feel comfortable talking to people. On this week's episode, we look at One Mentorship Program and how it's working to not only reach more at-risk youth with the help of a new facility, but possibly influencing them to become mentors themselves by connecting them directly with local inspirational figures. I'm Mai Martinez, and this is Courier Pigeon.
2: We are grateful to you for coming
1: today to contribute to the success of our African-American youth and to support each other. now a
0: bit On a Monday afternoon last month, something special occurred inside the Walnut Room at Macy's on State Street. The wood panel room with ordained carvings and a beautiful view of downtown was filled with laughter and live music as high schoolers dressed in their best business attire took selfies and prepared for an event. They were served a four course meal while they sat shoulder to shoulder with prominent Chicago area leaders, entertainers and difference makers including reporter Trey Ward of ABC7.
1: I'm a vessel as a journalist. And a lot of the times I'm hearing not only the pain, but the triumphs in my community too. So I take my job really seriously because I'm a vessel to you guys and to what you guys experience in your communities and in my community because I still live in Austin,
3: believe it or not.
1: I'm on the west side and my family's still on the west side. And I'm a vessel to what we go through every single day.
0: This is an annual event called The Black Table, put on by Chicago nonprofit organization, BUILD, which stands for Broader Urban Involvement and Leadership Development. Formed over 50 years ago in an effort to stop gang recruitment, BUILD created a nationally recognized ecosystem of mentors, which offers at-risk youth an avenue to explore interests like arts and entrepreneurship, or college and career prep, all while offering mental health support. The Black Table was launched in 2017 An idea from the organization's manager of learning and leadership, Deanna Hart. Despite all the outreach and positive work that BUILD was doing, Deanna noticed a lack of BUILD events that specifically celebrated Black History Month. That was
2: a challenge because we saw where a a huge population of our participants were African-American. So how are we not honoring and celebrating that history?
0: At the time, actress Jada Pinkett Smith had launched The Red Table, an online video series between herself, her daughter, and her mother, showcasing a cross-generational conversation. That show inspired Diana.
2: I came from a community that valued telling of the story and passing that information down. And I thought, what an amazing opportunity it would be if young people could sit at a table and talk to adults who are leaders, who are business owners, who are politicians, who have started foundations and they are doing all these things, but they come from the same blocks we come from, or they had the same kind of family makeup that we have, and they're leaders, and what we know is that you can't be what you can't see, right, and how do you demystify leadership and success, what would you have said to yourself when you were 14, 16, 19 that you didn't know then, that if you could go back, you would make sure that you knew now? And not only do they get to say, I sat and had lunch with um, the secretary of state, or I sat and had lunch with one of the first black ballerinas in the Joffrey Ballet in Chicago. Like, I'm good enough to go downtown and have lunch at the Walnut Room on State Street. Like, that's a huge thing for some of us. We don't, we don't get that.
4: Everybody at Build Up, every employee is actually a mentor in one way, shape or another. But, you know, I've, I've did it for many years, working with young people, young adults. Uh, helping them to overcome a lot of the barriers and hurdles that I myself and others I know had to face.
0: Bradley Johnson is Bill's chief community officer. and speaking with WBBM podcast producer Ariel Raveny at the Black Table event, he echoed Deanna's sentiment on how the location of this event plays a major role.
4: And so the black table, I think the young people actually love it. When they walk in a place like the Walnut Room, a place that most of us, I've only been in this space twice before, and that was more than 20 years ago. And so to be able to walk into a space and then feel and know that you have these these people, these leaders in their field care about you enough to have you here, sit down with you and tell their story and let you ask any question
0: you want. 18-year-old Sierra Tillman is a high school senior who began attending BUILD programs in 2021. She was present at this year's Black Table and explains how BUILD has helped her. I feel very honored to be here at the Black Table event just because, you know, like I feel like they view me as like a young adult who is, you know, working to get to where they
2: are. And a lot of times I notice like being with BUILD that they always try to try to put people in our path because they were once where we were and they, again, see our potential. So they want us to be the best that we can meet.
3: I'm a cellist by trade. And so when I used to go on tour, a big part actually of my performance career was to do outreach to young kids. And obviously young kids that look like me um, was incredibly important because in many ways I was a weird unicorn uh, for, for them to kind of interact with. So yeah, a huge part of what I love to do is definitely what Bill does every day.
0: Blake Anthony Johnson was one of the guests this year. He's president and CEO of the Chicago Sinfonietta. Previous speakers at the event include artists, news anchors, politicians, leaders in education, and even former Chicago Bears cornerback Charles Tillman. The goal being to showcase inspirational individuals who look like or have similar experiences to the young people currently enrolled with BUILD. Blake Anthony says the kids in lower income communities already have a basic understanding of symphonic music, even if they don't realize it.
3: There's a lot of classical music and a lot of songs that people listen to every day, anything from hip hop to country. There's also like video game music, you know, a lot of that, of course, is symphonic bass, and obviously, movie music is a big part of it. But a lot of for us is mainly about the representation and like using living composers, for instance. So it makes it very different. I think when people think of composers, they think of Mozart and I'm like, no, they still live and they're fun and they have personalities and they have slang just like everyone else, but slang maybe in the music as well as their vernacular voice. So for us, it's, it's more about making the human connection and then the music is really kind of a, a conduit to have more discussion.
0: Blake Anthony is the first black executive to guide a nationally recognized orchestra and in 2022 was named Chicagoan of the Year for Classical Music by the Chicago Tribune. But he isn't just one fleeting example of representation at the Chicago Sinfonietta. Not only are the majority of their current board of directors people of color, but so are one-third of their musicians. That's a huge difference when compared to the same demographics, making up just 2% of symphonies worldwide.
3: We have no shortage of young black and brown players. You know, I always remind people Beyonce has a whole orchestra of black female violinists. So if Beyonce can find people, like we can find people too. One of the issues is. The field itself, in terms of the traditional orchestra job is not appealing to a lot of people of color. You know, they go to Japan or they go to Croatia, or they go to Berlin. I mean, it's not like they don't exist. If you look at most black orchestral players in the world, they're American. They're just not here in the American market, and some of it has to do with the reality that we're not in a silo. And so often we lose people because of kind of the larger picture in which they fit in.
0: Blake Anthony says his own mentors growing up were in the classical music realm, like bassist Edgar Meyer and cellist Yo-Yo Ma. But his advice to the young people involved with BUILD is universal.
3: Something that I feel like is applicable when you're you know, a 17-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 6-year-old is really about kind of running your own race. So I'm a track runner, and I was a 400-meter dash MIPS front runner, and I'm always telling people, it's kind of funny because the literal starting line for each person on a 400 meter dash is, is different. So lane one is much earlier, lane eight is much further out. I only trained in lane three and four because I knew that's where my blocks would be. And if I try to adjust to anyone else, I will burn out because it might look like someone's ahead or it looks like someone's behind. But I actually have no idea until kind of the, the last chapter, the last 100 meters. And so this discipline to run your own race, I think, is so important because... I think often people try to compare themselves, like, well, this person is doing that, or this person is doing this. And it's like, they're starting at different starting lines. And so if you can focus on how I can make my best race, life is much easier, but also a lot more enjoyable. And so a lot of what I think I want young people to understand is that, you know, it's an individual journey, even though obviously there are plenty of people to help you kind of uh, be best prepared.
1: So I grew up in the North Lawndale area uh, from the west side of Chicago. You know, I would throw up the west side, but I don't know if that's, that's cool or not.
0: Anthony Bush is a build success story. He grew up with a single mother and four sisters, and he admits he was on a dangerous path while attending Manly Career Academy High School.
1: Even though my mom worked a lot, I still had to figure out a way to eat. I still had to figure out a way to stand on my own two feet because, you know, I got four sisters. So now it's like, that's another pressure. So now I gotta not only worry about myself getting to school, I gotta worry about four sisters getting to school. I gotta worry about, you know, just like being able to walk down the street without having to get into a conflict. So instead of being a a victim, I became a predator. So now I'm not just gonna wait for you to come to me, it's always offense. So if I see you before you see me, it's go time. And you better be just as ready as I am. You're gonna make sure you do whatever you need to do to survive.
0: Anthony says it wasn't peer pressure that led to this mentality. It was a lack of options and resources.
1: Being a young black man from North London or from the west side, people don't understand that our morality is different because we're born in a scarcity mindset. We never have what we need. And it's always you have to, you have to fight for what you need. And it became, you know, it it becomes pretty tribal because we don't know stealing is wrong. You just know that you got to eat, right? Being in those certain situations or being in that type of desperation you know people don't know what they'll do and you know i can compare it to being like have you ever seen that movie cast away with tom hanks our communities are that that island and if you notice in that movie he started to conform to that environment he started to you know make things happen or see things that's not really there and that's what happens in our communities every day
0: anthony told wbbm podcast producer jim hankey that in his environment growing up Two emotions reign supreme, anxiety and grief.
1: Everything you did is tension. You know, you go, going to school every day, it was tense. Going to a restaurant outside of your neighborhood is tense. And I mean, like, you know, don't get me wrong, I think that certain people should be held accountable in our communities, but I think that a lot of people missed a big part of it. A lot of these students, a lot of these families, a lot of these business owners, Everybody is grieving. And everybody is in this, this mind state of, have to be on defense all the time. and And they do that because we can't listen. We can't hear our inner thoughts. We can't feel ourselves. And like with the students, the reason why a lot of the crime is happening in Chicago is because they don't have that exposure. They don't have that understanding. They don't have that voice. They don't have their voice and they're grieving. <laughs> they're grieving. Like I didn't understand how gun violence really affected me until I became an adult. I had to go to therapy. I had to, you know, do the group mediation sessions. I had to find like-minded people. I had to find people that it was okay for me to like art. That's not okay in some of our communities. It's not okay to be smart. It's not okay to, you know, wear cheap shoes. So you always got to have the best. You always got to look your best. You always have to play that part, but sometimes it gets tiring. You can't play that part forever. And when you break, you break. And, you know, subsequently in our neighborhoods, when you break, the first thing someone hands you is something violent to use to oppress another person.
0: For Anthony, both group meditation sessions and art at BUILD were key to him not only speaking to others, but to himself. In a 2018 article, the Pew Research Center stated that approximately 40% of Americans meditate at least once a week. But a recent American Psychiatric Association study concluded that just 6% of black men seek out assistance for mental health.
1: You have to realize like growing up in our communities, even if it's not like violent noise, it's always like you hear something. And for that first time in my life at 14, at that time, that was the first time I ever been silent. But it was a it was a good euphoric silence. I was so silent that I could hear myself think. But I also was able to hear my subconscious and understand like, hey, you know, take that moment to yourself and grieve. A big part of that silence was me grieving and not just grieving people that I've lost, but parts of myself that I lost just growing up in Chicago. And for me to be able to get that silence to actually talk to Anthony, that was the first time that ever happened to me. And like, once that voice came on and I was able to speak to Anthony, I was able to say, you know what? I think that this may be wrong, because I my inner thoughts is telling me that, you know, maybe it's not just about the money, maybe it's something else I could do.
0: That something else became his current career. After working on Capitol Hill for the late Congressman Elijah Cummings, Anthony now resides in Baltimore, Maryland, and is the Assistant Vice President of Government Affairs for the Bank Policy Institute. And he credits Bill with helping him learn invaluable networking skills.
1: Bill was the catalyst because They do a big gala every year where you get to meet these people. You get to meet the business owners. You get to meet the police officers. You get to meet your local politicians. And sometimes you even get to meet, you know, fed politicians and state politicians. And once I got to meet these people, I always was able to talk. And once I got to talk to them more and more, I started to realize policy. And I started to understand money. And I started to understand business. I taught myself how to read the Dow Jones. My mom taught me how to, you know, really start focusing and reading what parts of the newspaper. You know, people like Christine started talking to me about business. I got people like Chris starting to take me to festivals at Hubble Park where I could actually understand different cultures. I had people like, you know, Guillermo to take me to the little village, which is really one block away from where I lived. But I'd never been to South Lawndale. Just getting that exposure was like, okay. once I see something, I can't unsee it. So what do I do? I have to make sure that everybody sees I have to understand that it's not about me no more. I gotta take my mindset back to the 60s to have pride in my neighborhood, to have pride where I'm from, and to be able to show people it's a different way. We don't all have to be, you know, tough. We don't all have to be products of our environment. We could be different.
5: i Mason. I'm an associate professor of emergency medicine at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University in Chicago.
0: Marianne is the co-author of a published study on violent crime in Chicago, specifically murders, and how it coincided with a cut in state funding about seven years ago.
5: Back in 2016, there was a huge spike in uh, homicides. And so we uh, did a study just, first of all, just looking at who was involved in those homicides in Chicago during that spike. And we found out that the majority of the increase actually was related to youth homicide. Then we started to look at, Oh, the rates went very, they went up like almost 50% and then dropped very rapidly. And so we said, you know, that's got to be an environmental condition, right? Things like changes in relationships or, uh, gentrification or all these other things that could impact homicide rates don't change that quickly. They don't change 50 percent overnight.
0: Marianne told WBBM podcast managing editor Lizzie Baumgartner that she gathered information as to why this change might have occurred by speaking with pediatricians, violence prevention experts, and others.
5: So as was kind of right around the time that CPS closed a lot of schools, for example. We looked at graduation rates. Uh, we looked at a whole bunch of things, uh, including spending on social and support services. And that led us to an understanding of the state budget impasse and its timing. We basically looked at the changes in homicide rates against all these environmental factors, and we found something rare (laughs) in social science. We found an almost perfect alignment between when the state budget impasse occurred and spending stopped for things like social services and social safety nets and things like that, and when the violence increased. So um, it really led us to think about what might've been going on at the community support level that, associated with the budget that could have contributed to the rise in homicides. We're not alone in identifying state spending connected to these things, but what we were able to do is really understand through this natural experiment of not having a state budget, uh, really quantify the impact in Chicago.
0: She emphasizes that funding alone won't stop crime, but building up the individuals, their families, and their community can set off a positive chain reaction And through this, people can avoid feeling distressed, as Anthony once did.
5: You know, I'm not advocating just throwing money at this problem, but I will say I I don't think you can effectively address these issues without addressing things that maybe aren't top of mind for people as they're thinking about violence. You can't address these issues without having safe and stable housing in communities, because Issues of safety and violence occur when those things aren't there, they create the conditions for these issues, so I think we have to think about what does housing look like in communities, um, how do we do housing to make it safe for families for partners for young men, I don't think the answer is necessarily all in policing or direct violence interruption i think a lot of it has to do with creating communities where people aren't desperate frankly
0: build receives federal funding through trio a selection of outreach and student services programs for those from disadvantaged backgrounds in 2018 build received a prestigious community challenge seed grant from the obama foundations my brothers keeper alliance this went directly into training mentors who have been through the build program themselves the goal generating an ongoing pipeline of difference makers. But Deanna says a success story at BUILD doesn't necessarily mean someone achieving a corporate career like Anthony or even becoming a mentor. She says even the smallest effort should be recognized and applauded.
2: Success is a young person who continues to show up every day, who is present when they're there um, and when they bring somebody baseline, that's success because they have found something that brings them back and it's good enough that they told somebody else to come. But when you look at the data and the metrics and the numbers right, success is when a young person who's been detached from a gang and we have intervened on their pathway in the criminal justice system when they can um, complete their probation and they don't recidivate when the young person that um, had to go to an alternative school, when they finally graduate and they get a job. A young person who we've supported through high school gets accepted and goes to the school and actually enrolls and attends. Those are the things that show our success. Fundamentally, we are happy when they keep coming back and they bring somebody else and they stay on, on the path.
0: We asked Diana what happens when someone doesn't keep coming back to build. If a mentee suddenly goes MIA, what's the role of their mentor?
2: Definitely after about two days, that's a phone call, like a text. Hey, what's going on? You good, right? If we don't get the young person, we're trying to get the family. Um, we can't get the family. The next step is, okay, who know where, where Johnny live at? And we're going on the block and we're going to try to find him. okay. Let's go to the school tomorrow and find out what's going on. Has he been coming to school? What's going on with him, right? And so it's, it's layered. Um, and, and even at that, there are times when you just can't find them. And it sucks. That hurts. The beauty of it, though, is that we stay where we are. They can always find us, right? So when they go off and they come back, it's like, man, we were looking for you. Where have you been? We are so happy to see you.
0: She also says mentees recognize BUILD as a true home, whether attending programs or long after they've left.
2: What young people know when they come to BUILD is once a BUILDER, always a BUILDER. And we will never leave. And that goes for young people, and that goes for staff. So you come through BUILD, you work for BUILD, and you go on to another opportunity, we sending you with our blessings and when you come back through here and, and you stop by or you see us we still gonna show you love right and we're still right here because the same services and opportunities we offer for the young people it's for the community and everybody is a part of the community
0: and build continues to grow Days after the black table, a ribbon cutting was held at their new state-of-the-art campus in the South Austin neighborhood on the corner of Laramie and Harrison, which will serve thousands more.
2: Before we started the building, we were estimated to serve about 3,000 students per year. We imagine that those numbers are at least going to double once the new building opens. It's an entire square city block. The original building is now what we're calling our enrichment um, building, and that's where our music studio, we have an art studio. There will be a STEM lab, a maker's lab, um, and a performing arts space. And also our uh, group and individual counseling spaces will be housed in that building. And then it is attached to the new edifice, which is a three-story um, building with a full official athletic-sized gym. There is a fitness center there. There are computer labs and tech labs, a a peace garden, and it really is a beacon in Austin, in South Austin, actually.
0: BUILD is just one part of the story. Lost Boys, Inc., City on the Hill, and in Lonce are other local mentorship sources kids and young adults who are at risk can go to for guidance and help. You know, I Anthony says sisters. when speaking to young people who like, remind him way. of himself, gotta, he emphasizes go on that on the support they need can come from multiple kids. sources.
1: What's important for kids. me to communicate is you're loved, you're heard, you're appreciated, and honestly, you you can do it because I never heard that when I was growing up. And that was the reason why I felt like I had to be confined to the four corners in my neighborhood. But I want these students to know that there's so much more out there. I'm shaking hands on Capitol Hill with members of Congress. I'm running portions of a CEO meeting with the top CEOs in the world, not just the nation, the world. And I'm from North Londale. I grew up on Douglas and Spalding. You know, I went to Manly High School, which is closed now. I graduated high school with a 2.0 GPA. I did. You just got to put in the time and the effort and find your support system. People don't talk about that. We, we always talk about how bad these kids are, but nobody supports them. Nobody tells them they are okay. Nobody speaks life into them. And I want them to know I'm speaking life into you right now. My name is Anthony Bush. I'm not hard to Google. If you need to talk to some, call. Talk to Bill, talk to all the different organizations, talk to the firehouse, talk to Enlace. talk to all these different community places because it's gonna it, it can help you. And honestly, if I grew up in this environment, who knows? I would probably be doing the same thing you're doing. So I'm not that different, but the only difference between you and I is the decisions that we make. And I would implore you to reach out and find the support system that you need and it will be there.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of WBBM Courier Pigeon, our newest podcast. Subscribe to us on the Odyssey app, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. For photos and videos relating to this week's show, follow WBBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. WBBM Courier Pigeon is an original podcast production. It's hosted by Mai Martinez, produced, written, and edited by Ariel Ravenet, Jim Hankey, and Lizzie Baumgartner. Reporting for this episode was done by Lizzie Baumgartner, Jim Hankey and Ariel Ravenet, with editorial direction by Mai Martinez and Lizzie Baumgartner. Thanks for listening to WBBM Courier Pigeon. I'm Mai Martinez.